my name's David. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, certainly grateful for the honor and privilege to uh, be with you all tonight and to share uh, a bit of my life with you and uh, really about how I got plugged into a power greater than myself. Um, I'd like to start by reading a poem. Um, this poem is by Robert Frost. It's called The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. I'm sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as fair, having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Um, like I said, my name is David. I'm a recovered alcoholic. And uh, my story tonight is uh, probably very similar to other stories. I'm going to share um, in a general way what it was like, what happened, and uh, what it's like now, and how I got plugged into a power greater than myself. Uh, I grew up in a smaller town about 45 minutes from where I live currently in Wichita in a town called Hutchinson, Kansas. It uh, says it's not super small, but it's, it's small. Um, I had both of my parents together with me to raise me until I was uh, about 11 years old. Um, growing up in the small town, um, I, it seemed like I was always searching for something. I, w I wasn't um, an unpopular kid. I had friends and the, my, the friends that I had kind of uh, clung to me. And uh, in this time in the 80s and 90s, when I grew up, uh, we, got, we managed to get in a lot of trouble um, and raise a lot of hell. I think I was in kindergarten. I was thinking about this today. I was in kindergarten and I, I brought a can of chewing tobacco to school and my friend and I chewed this chewing tobacco in kindergarten. And I can remember putting it, you know, putting it in our lip and it sat there for maybe a minute and we spit it out on the floor and we were pretty sick from it. But uh, I started smoking cigarettes and, elementary school, probably about 11 years old, uh, had my first sip of alcohol, I think at age 12. Uh, my, the neighbor, my friend, my best friend growing up lived across the street from me. We had, uh, his older brother go to the liquor store and, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> Colt 45 tall boys is what we drank. And I can remember drinking that and uh, getting so sick. I mean, oh, 
my God, uh, throwing up. Um, wasn't sure if I wanted to do it again, but I certainly ended up doing it again. Um, yeah, so through um, my elementary school, middle school, and high school, I started smoking pot. Um, I drank occasionally. I really, really liked smoking pot. Uh, by the time I was in middle school and high school, I was the pothead. I mean, that's, that's what I love to do. And uh, I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble with the law or anything. Um, but I, I pretty soon, I, I didn't really have the drive to do school. Um, I hated school. I more or less wanted to hang out with my friends. Um, social activities were what I was interested in. Um, so eventually, I think my junior year, I dropped out of school and uh, I love smoking pot. And I got a job and that's what my plan was, was I was going to work, smoke pot, live at my mom's house. Um, my parents had divorced when I was 11 and that was a difficult time for me as a kid. Um, I, uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, my dad left and he moved to Wichita. My mom and him fought like crazy over me and, uh, I kind of pushed that stuff aside and went more into the drugs and alcohol. Um, and I think that's really what, <clears throat> to some degree, that's where I, I really uh, made uh, pot and alcohol my best friend, um, trying to deal with uh, the separation of my parents. Um, by the time I was in high school, I started doing other drugs. Um, I tried cocaine, methamphetamine, um, LSD, you know, this, you know, the stuff, um, dropped out my junior year, had a job and that's what I was going to do. Um, by the time I was 19, I was pretty well hooked on methamphetamine and cocaine. And, uh, I started shooting methamphetamine at 19 and from 19 to 20, one, I kind of got involved into manufacturing methamphetamine with uh, the guys that I was running with. And uh, I got pretty far out there on, the, on that stuff at that time. And I got so messed up on it that I wound up in my first treatment center. Uh, I think I was 21 when I went to the treatment for the first time. And that was the first time I was exposed to uh, program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, <clears throat> that time in treatment, I was not very uh, serious about it. Um, I made it through the program, and then I relapsed right after I got out of treatment. And that went on for about another year. And uh, then my dad offered to uh, to have me move in with him because he, uh, my dad also is an alcoholic and uh, he wanted to help me. And at that time he was heavily involved in a church group that, that he went to. 
And so I moved in with him and I did the church thing for about two years um, with my dad. And uh, I learned a lot. I, I grew a lot as a, as a young man, but I just, uh, boy, that dope just called my name and uh, I relapsed. Um, and I, it was pretty bad on that relapse. I was uh, pretty far gone. Uh, I met my wife during that period of time. My wife was uh, dating a guy who was uh, manufacturing meth. And uh, I met them <laughs> and bought dope from them and used dope with them. And uh, anyway, I got pretty far out there again, and I wound up in treatment center number two. Meanwhile, my wife and her boyfriend at the time, uh, they caught a house on fire, and uh, he went to jail, and she was on the run. And anyway, went through the treatment center. I, uh, I ended up uh, finishing that treatment center. I moved into a halfway house, and I was very serious about getting clean and sober this time that I was going to do the deal. And I lived in uh, Oxford house for two years. And uh, that's where I met my wife again at a meeting. She had uh, ended up, she did nine months in jail, had a prison sentence hanging over her head. And we met in AA and uh, we started to date and uh, eventually we got married. Um, we stayed clean for five years. Um, and then eventually um, we thought that alcohol was a good idea. We weren't going to do meth. We were going to do the hard drugs, but we thought alcohol, well, what's that going to hurt to drink socially? Um, so we did. And uh, we managed for a little while, maybe a few years. Uh, where it wasn't bad, but eventually I drank for 10 years and it got really bad. And, uh, you know, I don't probably have to tell anybody this, but I, I got to a place in my life where I didn't care if I was married, divorced, whether I lived or died. Um, I can just remember sitting in my garage with my hands shaking terribly. Um, every morning I had to drink in order to function. I had to have a, a couple of shots of alcohol before I could even go to work. Um, I felt I needed to drink before a business meeting or, you know, my hands would shake so bad that food would fall off my fork. Um, and uh, I can remember sitting in my garage with a rope that I was just going to hang myself in the garage because I just couldn't, I couldn't live with alcohol and I couldn't live without it. And that's the place that I was. I was just there at that place. And uh, I didn't exactly know what to do. Um, I wound up going to AA is what I did. I told my wife that I was done, that uh, I can't do this anymore. 
and uh, I'm going back to AA. So I did. And of course, you people welcomed me, welcomed me back with uh, open arms. And uh, I immediately got a sponsor and I immediately started working the steps with that sponsor. And uh, the sponsor knew what he knew. Um, He had been taught a certain way and we went through the steps and um, I, I ended up relapsing during that time working those steps. Um, I drank one night and went right back in and got a newcomer chip. And I swore up and down that this time I'm done. And uh, we continued to work the steps. And uh, eventually that sponsor, um, he moved away. He told me that I need to find a new sponsor, somebody to be accountable to. So he moved to Oklahoma and uh, I was still calling him on a regular basis. He was still, you know, working with me when he lived in Oklahoma. And when he, he got there, he, uh, he told me, he said, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there in Wichita, but in Oklahoma, they're doing things way different. And uh, I would like to send you some things on emotional sobriety. And uh, so he started sending me these speaker uh, tapes And uh, one of them was um, Mark Houston and Dave Fredrickson, Fellowship of the Spirit, 2001. And I listened to that. I thought, my God, where has this been my whole life? Like, I've never heard the 12 steps explained this way in my entire life. And uh, I really kind of started to nerd out on this stuff. I was like, okay, I want to listen to everything Mark Houston. And so I started just Googling Mark Houston and listening to all these speaker tapes and taking all this stuff in. Uh, Dave Fredrickson, I was Googling him and emotional sobriety. I was listening to all this stuff and, man, it was blowing my mind. And uh, anyway, one of the platforms I was listening to it was Mad Dog Recovery AA speakers. And I remember one night I was laying in bed and I was listening to something and I'm laying there and I'm thinking, I wonder if they have a Facebook presence. So, uh, of course, I look on Facebook and yeah, they do. They have a Facebook presence. And uh, so there's a a group. And so I joined the group. And the very next morning, uh, one of the moderators in the group messaged me. And I thought, okay, this is weird. (laughs) I've never gotten a message from any group moderator on Facebook ever. Never. And so this guy messages me and he introduces himself and he's asked, inquiring about me and how long have you been sober and, you know, um, getting to know one another. And uh, he said, uh, he asked me my shirt size and what's my address. He was going to send me a care package. And I thought, this is crazy. Like he's going to send me stuff. Okay. This is, this is weird. But I, I, I did, I gave him my address and shirt size. And of course, a week later I get this package and it's got, all this stuff in it. He sent me a book, uh, Emmett Fox around the world and sent me a mad dog t-shirt, uh, buttons that say, I don't get a vote today. What I want doesn't matter. And <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And I, I, I called him up and I thanked him for it. For what he had done. And, uh, so we continued to talk on the phone. Um, from time to time. And uh, I can remember my wife at this time, um, 
my wife got sober with me when I, when I got sober again, and then she decided she wanted to continue drinking. And, uh, I said, I, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but you know, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. Uh, but I'm not, I'm going to continue this recovery. And, uh, you know, one day I was, my wife and I, we were just fighting bad and I was at work. I was having a difficult time working because I'm just, you know, I'm in my head and things are just, mm, man, I'm so upset. And da, 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 da. and I end up calling my friend from the mad dog recovery. And uh, I talked to him on the phone and, and I telling him, man, I'm just, I explain what's going on. My wife and I are fighting and he's, he stops me and goes, dude, you are way off the beam. He says, uh, I, I, I know somebody that can help you. And I, I want you to promise me, I'm going to give you his number. And I want you to promise me that you're going to call him as soon as we end this conversation. And I said, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'll call him. And he says, no, I really, I want you to promise me you'll call him. And when we hang up, I want you to thank God that you know him better. And I said, okay, yeah, sure. I can do that. And he gave me the gentleman's phone number and I don't want to name bomb, but um, it's my current sponsor. And it was one of the gentlemen who does the workshops that I'd been listening to. And uh, I called him up and I told him what was going on between me and my wife. And he told me, he said, uh, yeah, man, he says, I know exactly where you are and I know the way out. I'll work with you. And from there, um, we started to work together. I, I called him back and uh, he gave me some homework to do. He told me, he said, how many drinks did you start drinking when you got started? You know, on any given day. And I'm like, uh, well, I don't know. He says, well, was it six? I said, well, yeah, I could drink a six pack like every day. Yeah, that's no big deal. Yeah, it's just getting started six pack. He says, I want you to call six alcoholics every day. And I'm like, okay. And he says, do you know six alcoholics? And I said, well, yeah, I do. He says, I'm going to send you some contacts. So he sent me some contacts of some individuals that, uh, they're like my brothers. Now, um, he sent me some contacts. One gentleman lives in South Africa uh, a guy lives in um, Canada, another one lives in France, one lives in Michigan, a couple of them live in Michigan, Washington State, all over the place. He sent me all these contacts. He says, I want you to call at least six of these guys every day and talk to them. And I said, okay. And then he got me started on the 12 daily prayers and meditations out of the big book. Um, and so I started that work. I started daily prayer, meditation, vision work. And we got to about um, a certain way through the daily prayers and meditations. And we started on step one and uh, we went through the work together. Um, I started attending a steel on seal group with my sponsor and with the guys. Um, I uh, do zoom meetings mostly with my sponsor. I do some, uh, 
some meetings on uh, mostly online, but I do have a home group here and I do attend meetings mm, maybe infrequently, but uh, I like to make it down there to, uh, to help the newcomer. Um, I at one point in this journey through working these steps and doing steel on steel and, uh, mind you, my wife was drinking during this time. Um, boy, I had a four step like crazy with, with all the drinking that was going on. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, my wife got inspired because she saw the transformation in my life. And I think it was, uh, this past January, she decided she wanted to get sober. Um, and it was really, it was due to the, the change that she saw in me. She saw how happy I was and how joyful and that really inside she was miserable. And, you know, you, I guess you, the, I guess the point I'm making is that you can never uh, discredit what you're doing and how it will impact others that are close by you that God can work in you um, to make an impact in the lives of others, because it certainly was so with my wife. Um, at one point during the process, I, I, uh, you know, I still, I'm a recovered alcoholic, but I'm granted a daily reprieve and that's contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And there are days that I'm not so spiritual if I don't stick to the disciplines of the program, I can find myself a pretty unspiritual guy at times. Um, and I was going through one of those difficult times with my steel on steel group where my ego was a little hurt by the guys in the steel on steel group. And I was telling my wife, I thought, you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to continue doing this, um, going to this meeting. And uh, my wife stopped me and she says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't. I just know it's hard to go to this meeting and be so accountable because at steel on steel, no one is the sponsor. No one is the sponsee. We're all accountable to one another. And we hold the line of our weekly recovery with how many meetings you're going to. Are you doing daily prayer meditation? Are you staying in the middle of the herd talking to six alcoholics every day? Um, are you paying your bills on time? Are you doing the deal? Are you living a life of recovery? Um, so anyway, my ego was hurt and I was telling my wife, I might quit. And she told me that, no, you're not. You're not going to quit that meeting. She said, since you started Steel on Steel, you've been more in tune to our relationship as a married couple than you ever have been in the 12, 13 years we've been married. And so... It's like one of those things that maybe you don't see the change in yourself, but other people see the change that's taking place. And uh, I was working on this relationship with a God of my understanding and working with my sponsor, working through the steps. And I, uh, I was in my ninth step amends. And uh, I had an amend to make to my stepson uh, 
for how terribly I treated him when I was drinking. Um, and I, I made the appointment to make the amend and we sat down and I started to make amends with him for, for how I had treated him. And I, and I let him know how I, I really regretted the way that I, that I treated him. And, uh, that still small voice, I could hear it in my ear, <laughs> said, look, look in his eyes. He's healing right now. And it was like the change went over his face from his eyes through his face. And it was in that moment that I knew the, the damage that I had caused him, that God had healed that in him by me making the amend. And then really, it was a spiritual mirror because what really happened too is that I got healed from all the, the regret and the remorse that I felt inside, the guilt that I got healed in that very moment too. And today, my son and I, we have a great relationship. It's pretty awesome. I was working with my sponsor on another amend uh, and it was to a ex-girlfriend's boyfriend <laughs> that I had to make. Uh, this gentleman had, had died and I was, had this amend to make. And so I wrote, working with my sponsor, wrote an honest letter and my sponsor said, okay, it's graveside amend. You're going to go to the graveside and you're going to read this letter to the graveside. And, uh, I didn't even know where this guy was buried. And, uh, I was talking to my sponsor. I said, I, there's a couple of cemeteries in Hutchinson. I'm going to drive over there uh, and look around, try and find uh, his grave. I, I had inquired from other people about where he was buried and no one could tell me. And so I uh, talked to my sponsor. My sponsor says, why don't you go to a place where you had connected with him before and then let God guide you through this. And so I did. I drove to a place where we had connected. And then God showed me to go to another place where we had connected in another way. So I drove to that next place. And then I drove to another place because it was like breadcrumbs. It's like God was dropping bread, spiritual breadcrumbs for me to follow. And I made it to another place and then was this cemetery, go to this cemetery. And I went to the cemetery and had my dog with me. It was just me and the dog and I had this letter and I'm looking for this guy's name. I'm walking up and down the rows of the headstones and I'm not seeing his name. And my sponsor had said, if you can't find the grave site, just find the name, find a name that matches his and just read the letter. It's, it's just that simple. Um, Anyway, I was walking through the grave and I looked at a gravestone and it was like a bolt of lightning just hit me because I read my last name on one of the headstones and the headstone next to it, my last name it was my grandfather and my grandmother, my grandfather. I'd never known, but my grandmother had caused her harm and God led me through that really to make amends to my grandmother 
a gravesite event to her. And I know that for a fact on the way that this whole transpired because I was able to stand there that day and to make amends to my grandmother for the harm that I had caused her. And uh, I just can't tell you how freeing that is to be able to have that in that moment, to be free from the guilt and the remorse and the shame of the way that I treated. Mind you, my grandmother was the only one that wrote me letters in my first treatment center. She wrote me letters and I still have those letters. Uh, my grandmother and I, we, I, I loved her dearly and yet I, I hurt her and I was able to make up for that that day. So this connection to a power greater than yourself, this is what this whole thing is about. 12 steps from my experiences, it's not about working a 12 step, it's, it's what the steps point you towards. And that's a power greater than yourself that you can trust or rely upon. And that's been my experience. You know, the way my sponsor worked with me is that he wanted me dependent upon God as quickly as he could get me dependent upon God, and not on him. He says, I am not God. You get a God of your own understanding. That way you can rely upon God and not me. And that's the way he has worked with me. And that's the way I work with my sponsees. Um, I get them as plugged in to the power greater themselves as quickly as I can so that they can have that power to trust and rely upon. Because in the end, we're all just human, right? And, uh, but God is infinite and uh, he's somebody that we can trust and rely upon. Um, yeah, man, that's a little bit of current experience. Um, one of the, the disciplines that I, I do today is that 12 daily prayers and meditations. And uh, part of that is the 10th step. And uh, the watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And before I really worked the 12 steps with my sponsor, I really didn't understand what selfishness. I, I didn't make the connection. But you do a fourth and a fifth step. And then six and seven, and you write your eight step list and you go out and make amends and you see the power of God in your life, man, now you know what you're watching for. Now you know the selfishness, the level of selfishness, the dishonesty in me, the resentment at times. And that's the beautiful thing about this program is I don't have to wait. If I get a resentment, I can do a four column resentment inventory write a forgiveness prayer, boom, share it with somebody. I can do that on the phone. I've done that many times where I got a resentment and it's like, okay, time to write. And so I just break out. I've done it on a napkin before. I just write the person, why I'm mad, you know, what areas of self did it affect? Where was I at fault? Boom. And then I write them a forgiveness prayer. So that's what my sponsor taught me how to do. He taught me that we do a four column inventory, write the forgiveness prayer, and uh, fifth step and share it with somebody. And I've done that many times. I've listened to fifth steps. I've, uh, <laughs> some of the guys in making my, my sick, talking to six alcoholics, some of the things that we talk about is how we're resentful today. And so essentially we're fifth stepping with each other on a day-to-day -day basis and it works great. Um, but the daily disciplines, um, 
out of the big book, that, that watch, watching for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with somebody immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Resolutely turn our thoughts to somebody we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Um, Mark Houston used to talk about the 10th step as watch, ask, turn. Ceased fighting, because it goes on to say, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. That's what I'm watching for is the fight, the struggle in me. So one of the things in this program that I learned is that, you know, I come into this thing, I don't want to drink anymore, right? I'm done drinking. Like, I don't want to drink alcohol anymore. I got this problem. I just want to quit drinking. And then we do this step work and we get to a certain place and they go, well, selfishness and self-centeredness, that's the root of our troubles. It's not the booze. It's on the selfish, self-centered SOB. And that's the, the root of my troubles. And if I can get rid of the selfishness and get plugged into real power, power greater than myself, then things will start to fall in line. And that's been my experience. And that's a day-to-day thing. Um, those 10-step promises are just amazing. Um, it is, says it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. That's the only thing in the big book that I can read that says this is something's easy because there's nothing easy about working a 12 step program and living a disciplined lifestyle. According to this outline, there's nothing easy about it, but it says that it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. And that's been my experience too. Um, And I currently, I went through a really difficult health challenge recently in the past couple of months. And, uh, man, it was really difficult. There were times where all I could do is lay in bed and just say, God, get me through this. God, you've got to get me through this. I know that you can get me through this. I know that I'm not going to die. You're going to get me through this. And God got me through it. Um, I've had periods in this time where I've let up on the spiritual program of action and man, I got burned. It's funny, you know, God does this, uh, gives you free will, you know, go have a great day. And if we go out the door without God and uh, we end up come running back going, ouch, that hurt, you know? Uh, so where I'm at currently is I get up every day. I know that I have a daily reprieve and I have to start that by seeking God. And I do that by prayer, meditation, and vision. And from there, I'm in this to make the world a better place because I'm in it and I'm sober. And that's really the the goal in my life today is to make the world a better place because I'm in it and I'm sober. And that's what I like to encourage my sponsees with too, is that, you know what, we're sober today and we can go make the world a better place. Because we've been selfish and self-centered for so long, we need to to get out there and make the world a better place because we're in it and we're sober and we have the power of God in our life to do that. And God will use you in so many ways that it just, it blows my mind, right place, right time, right words to help somebody in need. And that's been my experience. So for what I've been given through this program, I will be forever grateful 
and I'm grateful for all of you on tonight to listen to my story. Um, if there's ever anything I can do for anybody, I'm definitely a phone call away. So ready and willing to, uh, to do all I can to, uh, to help the next alcoholic. So that's what I have tonight. Thanks.